Hey, it's Lisa Wimberger here. I'm the founder of Neurosculpting and I have helped thousands of people learn really powerful tools to regulate their minds and their bodies, including pro athletes, entrepreneurs, and those with serious stress-based illnesses. So I'm really excited to help you do the very same thing through education and some incredible guest experts. And together, we're going to discover the formula to unlock hope. So welcome. So if you listen to the episode where I spoke about my eye accident when I was 11, I did tell you I was going to tell you another eye story. Um, this experience really, really put me in a very um, strangely problem-solving hopeful space, even though it actually was far worse than the other accidents. So I'm going to take you to my college chemistry lab. That is never a good start to an eye accident story. I swear, sometimes I tell these stories. I cannot believe these stories are my life, um, mostly because I was dissociated through most of it. So it, it kind of sounds like someone else's life. But but really, when I stack these stories together, I'm like, what happened? What kind of strange karma did I have to have these bizarre occurrences? Nevertheless, here they are. Uh, I'm in chemistry which by the way, I hated, hated it more after the accident, but hated it to begin with. I'm not a good chemist. Um, I'm in chemistry lab and I had somewhat of a neurotic uh, relationship to my eyes after my accident when I was a kid. I was hypervigilantly protective of my eyes ever since I was 11. Goggles, glasses, I, I could not be around objects that were thrown like I couldn't be around a softball if it was thrown um, any any object that was thrown I would not be okay so I was really really neurotic about my eyes um, so the irony of me having another eye accident is just hysterical to me so I'm in chemistry lab it's the first time in all of my chemistry semester that I didn't put my goggles on immediately. Like normally those things were on like as I walked into the room. But this day, they were sitting right there. I was about to grab them and I went to move some of the chemicals sort of out of the way. I wasn't even starting the lab yet. And this particular lab was going to be a super titration. So that means we were gonna use really high molar compounds and they were so concentrated that we would have to use them under a hood because the fumes alone were detrimental. So I wasn't even planning on using the chemicals yet. So I had plenty of time to get my goggles and I grabbed the bottle of six molar hydrochloric acid. And it's wet from the person in the lab before me who was cleaning everything and it slips out of my hands and it crashes on the high table and people you know you can slow down time we have a superpower that can turn time into slow motion and this is one of those moments right where all of a sudden 
time is moving frame by frame in slow motion and I see all a wave of hydrochloric acid coming at me and droplets going up my nose and then all the droplets entering my eyes both eyes and of course you would think the reaction would be to close the eyes and turn away but I was in such horror that I think my eyes were wide open like <gasps> you know that scare experience so yeah I pretty much opened every orifice on my face um, to receive the flow of hydrochloric acid um, and I don't think this actually happened, but in my mind, I heard what I thought was like sizzling. That might have been my uh, dramatic uh, cinematic edition. Uh, but I thought I heard it go And suddenly, I just hear myself say, oh, shit. And again, I freeze. That's what I did. I froze. And now I can't see anything and I can't breathe because my sinuses are burning. And I'll never forget the people all around me, also frozen, very helpful. Uh, and one guy who was in a fight, flee, uh, arousal response, thankfully, jumps over the table neighboring me and grabs me and runs me over to the face wash. And now he's got the back of my head and he's pushing me into the face wash, which by the way, if anyone's ever had their eyes washed in a high power chemistry lab face wash, that alone does damage. So that abraded my corneas just from the force. But anyway, he's opening my eyelids. I can't breathe. I can't open them. My eyeballs are frying. Um, now, again, people in the 80s and in the early 90s, life was a little different. Things weren't, uh, weren't exactly as they are now. So uh, they had me wait on the curb for a cab to drive me to the ER because they couldn't, for liability purposes, they didn't want to call an ambulance because I think the teacher had been out of the room and he was really nervous there was gonna be a lawsuit. So instead of calling an ambulance to campus, they uh, put me on the curb and called me a cab. Now, by this time, I can't see. My eyelids are sealed shut and they are the size of golf balls and hemorrhaging purple red hemorrhaging. Like a, like a crazy cartoon character. And they take me to the hospital, and they take me to the ER, and they are putting, I don't know, some sort of form of like bacitracin in my eyes. And uh, they ask me about the accident, and I tell them it was six molar, and the doctor said, oh, you mean 0.6? And I said, no, it was six molar. This was a super titration. And um, the doctor says <laughs> under his breath, oh, shit <laughs> okay that is not what you want to hear and I said am I going to see again and he said I don't know and he said all I know is that you burnt all the nerve endings 
You burnt your lids, you burnt your eyes, and you are hemorrhaging uncontrollably. And there's nothing we can do. So called my, they called my parents, and they came and picked me up. Mind you, I went through that whole experience by myself. Uh, I don't know why I didn't call them on the way. Well, first of all, there were no cell phones. Uh, but I didn't want my parents to know until I knew. So I called them from the emergency room. They picked me up, and they took me home, and they propped me up in my parents' bed. Um, it must have looked horrific, and I didn't know if I would ever see again. That was my prognosis for a second time, uh, except this time it was both eyes. So uh, I remember sitting there, and this is this is this is where this was so so different. In, in my first eye experience, I was frozen. And in this one, yeah, I was dissociated. Yes, I was frozen. But for some reason, possibly because I was already, you know, close to 20 and my prefrontal cortex was more developed and I could problem solve and I could recruit that sort of aspect of my brain. For some reason, I quickly moved into problem solving which I believe got me through that without a lot of trauma. This isn't one of those things where I was in denial about. I actually processed this accident as it was happening. Um, I let the emotions come. I got so sad. And I, I remember my boyfriend at the time wasn't living in state. He was somewhere else. He had just moved to Florida in my, my high school sweetheart had just moved to Florida and I remember calling him and saying uh, I may never see you again and he thought we were breaking up and I said no literally I may never see you again I went into this weird sort of instant acceptance of this horrific thing and my horrific future but instead of staying in this poor me place I started problem solving I started um, rehearsing in my mind what his face looked like and saying out loud the things I remembered about his face so I could remember them. And then I remember thinking, damn it, I got to go back to school. How am I going to get to school? Do I get a seeing eye dog? Okay, I get a seeing eye dog. Do I take the bus to have to figure out how to do that? And then Funny, funny that this was my thought, but this was actually some of the, the healthy way I was processing around this. I was already starting to problem solve. How am I going to pick out my clothing? I'm going to have to arrange my shirts in a particular order in the closet. I'm going to have to arrange and feel things by texture. And I was like so worried about looking cute. I don't know where that came from because I'm so not fashion conscious anymore. But at the time I was actually like, oh, I would wear makeup or I would look cute. And I was the only girl in the engineering department, so I had to look cute. So anyway, this was this weird kind of therapeutic thing I was doing was trying to figure out how could I stay looking cute even when I was blind. Um, I, I soon lost my care for looking like anything after that, but um, I was problem solving. I was problem solving. And, and here, here's, what I, here's what I get so excited about. Problem solving is a way to process. Frozen is not. 
So here I was somewhat dissociated, but I was problem solving. This was a victory that I could engage with my life and start to propel it forward in a way that accepted what had happened. Um, and I remember thinking, kind of scolding myself. And I remember thinking, Lisa, you freaking idiot. You did this. You did not put on those goggles and you know better. Now you have to deal with the consequences and you are definitely not gonna let yourself get lazy because you did this. So you better step up and get this together. And so I was really inspired to problem solve. Um, I did have a, plenty of pity time. You know, I cried a lot. My parents cried. Um, you know, I had to feel the walls of the house to go anywhere in the house. And I would say that continued for, I probably, my eyes were sealed shut for probably four or five days. I couldn't even open them. Um, like a little baby lizard, <laughs> I must have looked like. Wish they had taken a picture at the time. I, I kind of don't, but I kind of do. Um, so then I finally opened my eyes and there was shadows. There was light and dark shadows, which I was grateful for. And I thought if that's all I had, it's something, it's something. And they just didn't know there was no prognosis. There was like, wait and see that, that you're lucky you have that. And so over the course of some weeks, the shadow vision started to clear and it became blurry and I was able to return to school. I had to wear um, an eye patch again with the eye patch. What is this? I had to wear an eye patch on one eye, dark sunglasses, because I couldn't handle light. And I had to sit all the way in the front of the classroom and I had to have assistance and it was this big ridiculous mess that over time started to clear. And I would say probably within, um, well, probably the blurry vision cleared in a couple weeks. But then I had the um, beautiful aesthetic of having no whites to my eyes because I continued to hemorrhage for months. The whites of my eyes were just bleeding. So I looked possessed and then I, I did at that time now, again, I converted the, the whole situation into this strange sort of uh, problem solving platform where um, I wasn't ashamed. I wasn't frozen behind a mask like I was when I was 11. This time I was like, ooh, I got a cool pirate mask. And I kind of looked like people were like, oh, that's cool. Is that a fashion statement? So um, I didn't have to have the tape across my face. So, so it, it felt different. And it took months uh, for the, the second eye to heal and for my sinuses to stop dripping and pouring. Um, and at that point, I felt in my body that I had processed this very differently. I was present, I was problem solving, I was accepting, and I was taking action and moving on regardless of how imperfect 
that action was. And this was a huge difference. And, you know, let's just zoom out for a minute and talk brain stuff, right? Because, of course, that's what I love. What was happening in this situation that was vastly different than the previous accident? Well, in the previous accident, I didn't feel anything and I froze. Plus, I was too young to have a fully robust prefrontal cortex. But now I'm like almost 20. I'm almost there with a mature, wired up prefrontal cortex. And that thing can get you to reframe and reprioritize and have new perspectives and problem solve and process and have empathy and understanding and, and creativity and innovation and inspiration and motivation, all the things I needed to heal effectively. And suddenly they were there at my disposal. Holy moly, I was moving through this accident my second time being blind with a prefrontal cortex approach, which created a sense of empowerment, a sense of agency. I had agency over how I was going to choose to respond to this state of being. Whether I got my eyesight back or not, I was choosing. This was a whole different ballgame. And I would venture to say that in this particular instance, hope equaled choice. My capacity to choose my response to situations no longer within my control, like my eyesight, was my embodied taste of hope. I could choose. How different, right now, just pause for a second. How different would your life be if the one thing that gets under your skin that is beyond your control suddenly was an opportunity for you to choose a different response? What kind of response would you choose? And the truth is, I'm going to tell you straight, you actually do have a choice. You don't have control over what's coming at you, but you absolutely have a choice in how you choose to hold that, to relate to it, or to let it define you or not. And I was determined that being blind was not going to define me. And I chose. And I processed. And I have to say that the accident was a badge of honor, <laughs> some strange badge of honor for me, where I was like, yes, I did it. I came through being blind a second time, and I can see, and I don't have a scar. Well, I do have scars. Um, I have scars on my eye from the first accident, but I don't think I have scars from the acid. So maybe one of my sinuses, I don't know. But I don't have emotional scars from that one. I have emotional empowerment. Oh my God, I have empowerment that I didn't lay there letting the crappy situation define me. I problem solved. And if those solutions that I came up with weren't going to work, I'd figure that out and I'd find new ones. And yeah, it would suck. It would suck. But I would problem solve it. Said it would suck a little less. This 
is agency. This is hope. This is the power of change and adaptability. This is the power of neuroplasticity of our brain to um, adapt. And this is also a testament to the development of the brain. When the prefrontal cortex, when your prefrontal cortex is well-supported, robust, and mature enough, you can navigate the world differently. So what did this also do for myself? Well, it helped me look at my past self with a little more compassion. All right, so maybe I couldn't handle things gracefully when I was younger. Could you? Cut yourself some slack. Uh, when we don't have a robust prefrontal cortex, we're, we're going to act like a toddler. That's why toddlers act like toddlers, because <laughs> they don't have a very robustly mature prefrontal cortex. And we're going to pity ourselves, and we're going to throw tantrums. And, and yeah, we might still do that for the rest of our lives, but with, with this supported brain, we can choose a different approach. And I got a firsthand experience of that. So for me, in that particular moment, hope equaled problem solving. And so my goal for you is to just invite you to think about hope differently. So where in your life right now can you come up with one or two solutions, whether they work or not, irrelevant, right now, can you come up with two new approaches or new actions that you're going to take? to do something a little differently so that you are not letting that situation pummel you or so that you're not continuing to throw the pity party. You could throw it for a little while, then, then you got to close that party and move on. So what two solutions right now? That solution may be, hey, get off the couch and go get a drink of water. Move your body. If you're apathetic and you're depressed, it could be, Pick up the phone and make an appointment with your doctor or get an assessment. I don't know what it is for you, but right now you have available to you something you're currently not doing that may just get your brain churning. So what two out-of-the-box solutions can you just throw at the wall to see if they stick? And if they don't, no harm, no foul. You tried something. And then you throw two more. And then you throw one more. At some point, some solution is going to stick and you are going to find a little bit of agency for having done the hard work of coming up with a solution and just trying it. There are no guarantees, people. Our solutions are perfect pictures. They're a waste of, they're a waste of invested energy in the, in the total outcome. They're not a waste of trying, trying on wholeheartedly. But when we put the expectation in that it has to look like a certain thing, that's where it gets inefficient. So slap some solutions onto the board without attachment to what they have to look like and see what sticks. You might be surprised. You might heal things. You might find um, that you're content uh, in different ways. That's what I found for me. Uh, interesting theme, though, the blindness theme. Uh, what later happened, so this was college. And then after I graduated, um, years later, 
and I went into the world of teaching. I was doing my student teaching at my old high school, and I became best friends with a new teacher there, and he was the social studies teacher. And I think I'm going to probably have him on this, this podcast because uh, you need to meet him. I'd love for you to meet him. Uh, and he was blind. He was a completely blind teacher at a regular seeing eye, like a regular sighted school. Most, most blind teachers teach at blind schools, but not Jim. He taught at a regular high school, and we became best friends. And uh, he taught me all sorts of things about how to hear the world, how to feel the world, how to taste the world, and how to see the world through all of those other senses. And, um, and I taught him how to write on the board and feel how to write so that his students could see his handwriting. And it was a beautiful, uh, is still a beautiful friendship that, again, validated the theme of what is hope. And for some reason, com you know, partially unknown to me, one of my themes in this lifetime has been through vision. Whether that's literal vision is how I get my lessons, or to be able to have vision, I consider one of my superpowers the ability to envision a world I want to live in and to make it happen through my imperfect problem solving. Uh, and that's hope. All of that is hope in an embodied form. I don't know what hope is for you. And I certainly don't think you need to go blind twice and then have that as a running theme in order to find it. I think you could find it en route to the 7-Eleven to get yourself something to drink. I feel like you can find hope just sitting there looking at a sunrise or a sunset. Um, I share the intense stories because there are some big lessons for me, and that's what I can authentically speak about. But I'll also share some of the not-so-drama-filled stories that were also super, super inspirational to me. What causes you to be able to motivate yourself to try something differently than what you've been already doing. That's hope. That's your fuel. So wherever that is for you, that's what you get to reach for. So right now, I want you to identify one sticky problem. A problem that you have been trying the same approach with every single time. You know it's not going to work to try that same approach again. It hasn't worked before. So choose that problem. And as though you were looking at a plain whiteboard, throw some the most ridiculous outlandish solutions on there, three to five. And just get your brain churning in a direction of possibility. This is you using your prefrontal cortex. This is you moving into agency and choice. And if those three to five solutions don't work, erase them and come up with three to five more. 
And when you run out of solutions that might not work, invite a friend to throw some on the board. And if you keep throwing ideas on the board, one will stick, and it'll be the one you have not tried before. This is hope. This is what you can do right now. You can do it. You don't have to have a traumatic eye accident to get there. All right, my friend, thank you for being here with me. And we'll talk more about hope. Hope you have an amazing day. Thanks for listening to Unlock Hope. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at Neurosculpting Institute on Facebook, at Neurosculpting on Instagram. You can always reach out to us on our website, neurosculpting.com, and you can download our app, Neuropraxis. Stay well, everybody.